The epistle is from 1 Peter chapter 4. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 15th and 16th chapters. Jesus said, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Do you think you would join the club if the pitch went something like this? Look, we're a great group of people. We do lots of great things. We have a lot of fun together. We love to enjoy the same things. We have all kinds of activities. We volunteer. We serve. We do wonderful things. And there are some fiery trials that you have to go through along the way. Would you join the club? If fire was part of the deal, I think Peter is thinking specifically, specifically of what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, the fiery trial they went through, being cast into a fiery furnace by King Nebuchadnezzar. Do you think you'd join the club if that was the pitch? Lots of great things going on, but yes, there are some fiery trials. Or, hey, look, you should come on this cruise. You should join us on this cruise. Come. we got a great big boat. There's several pools. There's a buffet. There's all kinds of entertainment. And, of course, yes, lots of people have fallen overboard along the way. But, look, it's a lot of fun. Would you go on that cruise? Would you go on that trip? Or, here, you should come and cheer for our team. We've got the best team. We've got the best stadium. You come and sit in the front row and you can cheer with everybody else. And it's an exciting time, thrilling time, great hot dogs, great entertainment. And yes, some people are going to try and kill you while you're there. Would you join in that fan club? It's quite the pitch, isn't it? It's quite the pitch that St. Peter makes and that Jesus makes in our gospel lesson today. He says, I'm telling you these things so that you will not fall away. 
Because there's going to come a time when there are those who will kill Christians thinking that they are offering service to God. A fiery trial, St. Peter calls it. It can hardly be the kind of pitch that would be made to join a club. No one, no one would join that club. It's not worth it. It's not worth it for good fun, good fellowship, good friends, good entertainment. It's not worth it to endure fiery trials of various kinds. It's not worth it. There are some things that you do that you might join, and you might be willing to endure a bit of suffering. I was thinking about joining a gym. You join a gym knowing full well that it's going to hurt. You're going to sweat, and you're going to work hard, and you're going to ache, and you're going to want to quit. And your pain and your gain are proportional to how hard you work, right? So you know what you're getting into when you join a gym. If you want to lift heavy, it's going to be hard. If you want to work hard, you're going to suffer. If you want to make gains, you're going to have to endure. But look, here's the difference between what's on offer in our texts today, what Jesus has to offer for us, and what you get from a gym. In a gym, you only have to go through as much pain as you want to. You get to pick. You get to decide how heavy you want to lift, how strong you want to be. You get to decide what you're going to get out of it. And it's also the case that at the end, when you have endured and sweated and ached, even then, at long last, all of your gains will go away. None of us gets to keep our strength. None of us gets to keep our health and our vigor to the end. You might join a gym if there's some suffering involved, but not this kind of suffering, not the suffering that Jesus is talking about. It is, in fact, much more like joining an army. You heard that in our hymn of the day. The soldiers that Jesus has called, he he gives to them armor. And they need armor because there's trouble. And there's an enemy, and there's danger, and there's pain, and there's deprivation, and there's want, and there is suffering. In war, when you are a soldier, you do not get to decide how fierce the enemy is. You don't get to decide when and where the pain comes. You don't get to decide how much danger you're willing to endure. And when the going gets tough, you're not deciding just for yourself. There are other people who are depending on you. It's much more like joining an army, being a Christian is. It's much more like being a soldier. Certainly far more than joining a social club or even joining a gym. It is like joining an army. It is also like joining an army in this way, that for every soldier who dies, it's not a loss, because they have fought for a valid, wonderful cause. Think about soldiers who give up their lives in battle. It's not a loss in the end. Yes, there's a loss of life. Yes, it's tragic and grievous, but why did they give up their lives? Why were they willing to suffer? Why did they endure facing even death? because they knew the prize was worth it, defending their fatherland, fighting for the people back home. Victory for this great good is worth, it's worth even giving up a life. That's true for militaries in our world, that's true for soldiers in our world, it's even more true for Christians. Jesus warns us today, he says, I'm telling you all of these things, I'm telling you what's coming down the pike For you soldiers, I'm telling you what's coming so that you will not fall away. And that's important because the Bible is chock full of people who fell away. In fact, I think if you tallied them up, there are far more people in the Bible 
who fell away than who remained faithful. Just think about the time of Elijah, the prophet in Israel. He was sitting alone in a desert place because he felt like no one believed God's word. No one was left. Of the 600,000 people who had marched out of Egypt and then entered into the promised land and the kingdom had grown and had, had, uh, had prospered, among all of those people, Elijah looked around and God showed him 7,000. 7,000 who had not fallen away. Merely 7,000. Far more had bent the knee to the idols. Far more had abandoned God. Far more had slipped into lovelessness and selfishness. Far more had lost the faith. Sometimes the fall is precipitous. Sometimes it happens in a moment. We hear this in the Gospels as Jesus is walking along and preaching. He says all kinds of things that drive the people mad. They can't take the truth, the clarity, the plainness of what he is saying. And so at one point in John chapter 6, he's talking about his flesh and blood, which he is giving up for the life of the world. And he says to the people who are listening to him, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. It is the Spirit who gives life. Your flesh is of no avail. And when they heard that, the people said, This is a hard saying. Who can believe this? Who can hold on to this? Who can follow this guy who's saying something like that? And after that, John 6, verse 66, after that, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. All it took was one wrong word from Jesus, or rather, one word from Jesus they couldn't bear, and they were gone. Sometimes the fall is precipitous. Sometimes it is, however, very gradual, an easy, comfortable slope downward that you don't even realize that you're on. This was a story for King Solomon, the wisest man that ever was, gifted by God. His kingdom prospered beyond measure. It was the best time in Israel. And yet, here's how the story of King Solomon ends. He married all kinds of foreign women whom God told him not to marry, hundreds of them. And when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. A gradual, slow, and easy abandonment of the faith. It didn't hurt him at all. It was the most comfortable thing in the world, that falling away. Sometimes it's the last person you'd expect who falls away. Think about Peter in the Gospel. Peter, with all of his bluster, with all of his pride, with all of his vigor for what Jesus is doing, he says to Jesus, I don't care what anybody else does. I don't care if when they come with swords and spears, I don't care if everybody runs away. I will never abandon you. In fact, he says, I'm going to die with you. And then, three times the rooster crowed, and Peter was cut to the heart. Because he had just sworn with an oath that he'd never even heard of Jesus. The Bible is chock full of people who fall away. And so it matters. And this is why Jesus says so plainly, I'm telling you all of these things. I'm warning you about what's coming. I'm warning you about what you're going to endure. I'm warning you about this fiery trial so that you will not fall away, so that you will not slip into false worship, so that your hearts won't go after other things that cannot save, that cannot deliver, that promise false hopes, so that you won't fall in love with the things of this world which are passing away, but instead you'll remain true 
to your God, who has given you gifts that are eternal. I'm telling you things, these things so that you won't slip into sin, into lovelessness, into being turned back in on yourselves once again, to thinking only about what's good for you, what feels good, what you want, what you desire. I'm telling you this so that you will no longer live for yourself, but you live for love. Love of God and love of your neighbors. I'm telling you this so that you'll finish the race. That's the picture that St. Paul uses about your lives as Christians. You're running a race. I was thinking about teaching the kids to swim. Uh, There's that movie with John Wayne in it where he just throws a kid in the river and then the kid has to find his way back to the shore and the kid learns how to swim. I've not yet mustered up the courage to teach my kids to swim in that way, but what happens is we'll get in the pool and I'll kind of hold them while they're going along and they'll be doggy paddling and thrashing about because they don't know that the, the harder you try, the worse it is, right? But what happens, and maybe you've all seen this before, is that you say, I'm gonna, I want you to swim to the edge of the pool or I want you to swim to me. And the kid is swimming along, doing just fine, but then there's this moment where they think they're not going to make it. They think they can't quite get there. They don't have enough air in their lungs. It seems too far away, whatever it might be. And you know what happens in that moment is a terrible thing. They quit swimming. They sit upright and they start flailing around like this, which makes matters all the worse, right? That's the last thing you should do when you don't think you're going to make it in the water. It's the last thing you should do is flail about as though you're not going to make it. Instead, you should keep on. You should keep on. Keep holding your breath. Keep paddling. Keep going. And here's the difference between learning how to swim and having a Heavenly Father who cares for you is that you're not going to fail. You're not going to run out of air. You're not going to not make it. It's within reach. The prize is yours. It's already been won for you through your Savior, Christ Jesus. And so, Jesus says, the only problem is going to be if you give up. The only problem is going to be if you stop listening, if you don't believe me, if you quit early. And so, I'm telling you all of these things. So that when you encounter trials of various kinds, you can endure them. Not just sort of gritting your teeth and bearing it, but with joy. There's all kinds of trials that you endure as a Christian. It could be as simple as having made the mistake of thinking that this was a social club. Thinking that this church or wherever you go to church or being a Christian among Christians is like joining a social club where you get your, your fancy tickled and everything should be according to your expectations and it's all joy and all happy all the time, that's not what it is. It's an army. That could be a trial, realizing that you actually joined an army and not a social club. could be kind of a grievous trial. Something happens to you that you thought would never happen to you pain or suffering or sickness or loss that you never thought would happen to you. I marvel how often I encounter Christians who never thought they were going to die. That's a trial, a fiery trial that is grievous. It could be as hard as, and I think this is perhaps the hardest of all, there is in fact sin in your life that you love, that you do not want to let go. And when Jesus comes along and tells you that sin is not only not good for you, it'll be the death of you, and I want to take it away and forgive it and free you from it. You say, no, that's too much. Repentance is too hard. I can't endure it. St. Peter says, when this happens to you, when these fiery trials come upon you, don't act like something strange 
is happening to you. Don't be surprised. This is part of the deal. Don't act like something strange is happening to you, which means don't grumble, don't complain, don't gripe, don't say, I don't deserve this. Don't be surprised that this is what is happening to you because this is the cost of getting a new heart. That's what makes it all worthwhile. Enduring all kinds of fiery trials, enduring and holding fast to the end, that's what makes it worthwhile. You heard it from Ezekiel, what is God setting out to do for you? I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my just decrees. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. A new heart. That's the reason why you should join a church. That's the reason why you should hear God's word. That's the reason why you should remain faithful until the end because God has a new heart for you. And it is your old heart which is the problem. It's out of your old heart which comes sin and wickedness which give birth to death and you need a new one. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to give you. That's better than gaining all kinds of strength in the gym. That's better than winning a victory for your homeland, for the people back home. That is far better. A new life altogether. And not just a new life like the old one, but a new life in which you do good in which you love the way your Lord loves you, in which you are free, free from guilt and shame and grief, that is worth enduring for. Even better, Jesus does not leave you to endure all on your own. He has promised you a helper, the Holy Spirit. So think to yourself, what do you need help with? If you were to make a list of the things that you need help with, they probably include some very practical things. I need help with my health. It is failing. I need more time to get the things done that I want to get done. I need help with my family. They just won't listen to me. I need help getting by in this world. It seems like everything is set against me. What do you think you need help with? Here's what Jesus thinks you need help with. He thinks you need help trusting him. Putting your faith in him holding fast to his word. He thinks you need help in prayer. He thinks you need help in growing in love. And so, he wants to give it. He sends you the Holy Spirit to do exactly those things, to help you in the face of all kinds of trials and temptations and suffering, to help you endure faithfully till the end. He has promised you. He has promised you his Holy Spirit beyond measure. Ask. Ask and you will receive and you will endure to the end. That's the great news for us today, and that's the great news for Ellie today as she gets confirmed. So if I've not made it clear already, she's not joining a club. She's not joining a gym. She's not graduating from anything. Ellie's joining an army. She's entering into the fray. And if that makes you feel grim and afraid for her, I suppose that's good in a sense, but I want you to be joyful because she's not fighting on her own. If she's been harassed and assaulted by the devil until now, how do you think it's going to go for her? How do you think the devil's going to gear up 
once she starts receiving Jesus' body and blood and confesses his name before all the world, how do you think things are going to go for her? The devil is going to ramp up his attack, but we have a hope that exceeds that danger. We have promises from Jesus that are abundant beyond measure. She's signing up for something wonderful. She's signing up because she believes that she's going to receive a new heart from Jesus. And she knows that her Savior will give it to her. And so we ought to pray. This is your charge today. Just as you pray for yourself, that you receive the Holy Spirit, you should pray for Ellie, that God would pour out his Spirit on her beyond measure so that she can endure to the end, so that she can remain faithful. She's going to promise to do that. In the rite of confirmation, pray for her. If you do not pray for her, we are neglecting her. Pray for Ellie. She is a Savior who has promised never to leave her or forsake her. And that is the one promise, the one thing that you should always remind her of. Never let her forget it. With that knowledge, with that promise, with that hope, she cannot fail. She's on the winning side already. Our Savior has conquered sin, death, and the devil for her. All that's left is for her to believe. The same goes for you and for me. God grant us grace never to fall away, but always to trust in his promises. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.